Section ten of the Anatomy of Melancholy, Volume three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elizabeth Clett. The Anatomy of Melancholy, Volume three, by Robert Burton. Section ten. Partition three, Section two, Member two. Subsection two, part two. When Peter Aretine's Lucretia came first to Rome, and that the fame of her beauty, ad urbanarum delicarum sectatores venerat, nemo non ad videdan, im, etc., was spread abroad, they came in, as they say, thick and threefold to see her, and hovered about her gates, as they did of old to Laius of Corinth, and Phryne of Thebes. Ad cujus jacuit gracia tota fores, at whose gates lay all Greece. Every man sought to get her love, some with gallant and costly apparel, some with an affected pace, some with music, others with rich gifts, pleasant discourse, multitude of followers, others with letters, vows, and promises to commend themselves, and to be gracious in her eyes. Happy was he that could see her, thrice happy that enjoyed her company. Charmides in Plato was a proper young man in comeliness of person, and all good qualities, far exceeding others. Whensoever fair Charmides came abroad, they all seemed to be in love with him, as Critias described their carriage, and were troubled at the very sight of him. Many came near him, many followed him wheresoever he went, as those formarum spectatores did Acontius, if at any time he walked abroad. The Athenian lasses stared on Alcibiades, Sappho and the Mytilenean women on Phaon the Fair. Such lovely sights do not only please, entice, but ravish and amaze. Cleonymus, a delicate and tender youth, present at a feast which Androcles his uncle made in Piraeo at Athens, when he sacrificed to Mercury, so stupefied the guests, Dinius, Aristippus, Agasthenes, and the rest, as Charidemus in Lucian relates it, that they could not eat their meat, they sat all supper-time gazing, glancing at him, stealing looks, and admiring of his beauty. Many will condemn these men that are so enamoured for fools, but some again commend them for it. Many reject Paris's judgment, and yet Lucian approves of it, admiring Paris for his choice. He would have done as much himself, and by good desert in his mind. Beauty is to be preferred before wealth or wisdom. Athenaeus Diipnosophisti, Book Thirteen, Chapter Seven, holds it not such indignity for the Trojans and Greeks to contend ten years, to spend so much labour, lose so many men's lives for Helen's sake, for so fair a lady's sake. Ob talum uxorum qui prestantissima forma nil mortale refert. That one woman was worth a kingdom, a hundred thousand other women, a world itself. Well might Sterpsichores be blind for carping at so fair a creature, and a just punishment it was. The same testimony gives Homer of the old men of Troy, that were spectators of that single combat between Paris and Menelaus at the Sean Gate, when Helen stood in presence. They said all the war was worthily prolonged and undertaken for her sake. The very gods themselves, as Homer and Isocrates record, fought more for Helen than they did against the giants. 
When Venus lost her son Cupid, she made proclamation by Mercury that he that could bring tidings of him should have seven kisses, a noble reward, some say, and much better than so many golden talents. Seven such kisses to many men were more precious than seven cities, or so many provinces. One such a kiss alone would recover a man if he were a-dying, suaviolum stygia sic te davale reducet, etc. Great Alexander married Roxanne, a poor man's child, only for her person. "'Twas well done of Alexander, and heroically done. I admire him for it. Orlando was mad for Angelica, and who doth not condole his mishap? Thisbe died for Pyramus, Dido for Aeneas, who doth not weep, as, before his conversion, Augustine did in commiseration of her estate. She died for him. Methinks, as he said, I could die for her. But this is not the matter in hand. What prerogative this beauty hath, of what power and sovereignty it is, and how far such persons that so much admire and dote upon it are to be justified, no man doubts of these matters. The question is, how and by what means beauty produceth this effect? By sight. The eye betrays the soul, and is both active and passive in this business. It wounds and is wounded, is an especial cause and instrument, both in the subject and in the object. As tears it begins in the eyes, descends to the breast. It conveys these beauteous rays, as I have said, unto the heart. Ut vidi ut perii, mars videt hanc visamque cupit. Sesham saw Dinah the daughter of Leah and defiled her. Genesis, book thirty-four, verse three. Jacob, Rachel, twenty-nine, seventeen, for she was beautiful and fair. David spied Bathsheba afar off, Second Samuel, eleven, two. The elders Susanna, as that Orphomenian Strato saw fair Aristoclea, daughter of Theophanes, bathing herself at that Hercine well in Labadia, and were captivated in an instant. Viderunt oculi, raperunt pectora flamme. Ammon fell sick for Thamar's sake. Second Samuel, thirteen, two. The beauty of Esther was such that she found favour not only in the sight of Ahasuerus, but all of those who looked upon her. Gerson, Oregon, and some others contended that Christ himself was the fairest of the sons of men, and Joseph next unto him, speciosus pre filis hominum, and they will have it literally taken, his very person was such that he found grace and favour of all those that looked upon him. Joseph was so fair that as the ordinary gloss hath it, filiae decurrent per murum, et ad fenestris, they ran to the top of the walls and to the windows to gaze on him, as we do commonly to see some great personage go by. And so Matthew Paris describes Matilda the Empress going through Cullen. Petrus Morales the Jesuit saith as much of the Virgin Mary. Antony no sooner saw Cleopatra, but, saith Oppian, Book I, he was enamoured of her. Theseus at the first sight of Helen was so besotted that he esteems himself the happiest man in the world if he might enjoy her, and to that purpose kneeled down and made his pathetical prayers unto the gods. Chericles, by chance, espying that curious picture of smiling Venus naked in her temple, stood a great while gazing, as one amazed. At length he brake into that mad, passionate speech, O fortunate god Mars, that was bound in chains and made ridiculous for her sake! He could not contain himself, but kissed her picture, I know not how oft, 
and heartily desired to be so disgraced as Mars was. And what did he that his betters had not done before him? Atque aliquis de dies non tristibus optat sic fieri turpis. When Venus first came to heaven, her comeliness was such that, as mine author saith, all the gods came flocking about and saluted her. Each of them went to Jupiter, and desired he might have her to be his wife. When fair Antilochus came in presence, as a candle in the dark his beauty shined, all men's eyes, as Xenophon describes the manner of it, were instantly fixed on him, and moved at the sight, insomuch that they could not conceal themselves, but in gesture or looks it was discerned and expressed. Those other senses, hearing, touching, may much penetrate and affect, but none so much, none so forcible as sight. Forma Briseis Medeus in armis movit Achillem. Achilles was moved in the midst of a battle by fair Briseis, Ajax by Tecmessa, Judith captivated that great captain Holofernes, Delilah, Samson, Rosamond, Henry the Second, Roxolana, Suleiman the Magnificent, etc. Nica de Cai Sideron, Cai Porcali Tis Usa. A fair woman overcomes fire and sword, not under heaven so strongly doth allure, the sense of man and all his mind possess, as beauty's loveliest bait, that doth procure great warriors erst their rigour to suppress, and mighty hands forget their manliness, driven with the power of an heart-burning eye, and lapped in flowers of a golden tress, that can with melting pleasure mollify their hardened hearts inured to cruelty. Clitiphon ingenuously confesseth that he no sooner came in Lucippi's presence, but that he did corde tremere et oculis lascivius intuere. He was wounded at the first sight, his heart panted, and he could not possibly turn his eyes from her. So doth Calisiris in Heliodorus, book two. Isis, priest, a reverend old man, complain, who by chance at Memphis seeing that Thracian Rodophi, who might not hold his eyes off her. I will not conceal it, she overcame me with her presence, and quite assaulted my continency, which I had kept unto mine old age. I resisted a long time my bodily eyes with the eyes of my understanding. At last I was conquered, and as in a tempest carried headlong. Xenophiles, a philosopher, railed at women downright for many years together, scorned, hated, scoffed at them, coming at last into Daphnis a fair maid's company, as he condoles his mishap to his friend Demaratus, though free before, intactus nullis ante cupidinimus, was far in love, and quite overcome upon a sudden, victus sum fateor av Daphnidi, etc. I confess, I am taken. Sola heic inflexit sensus, animumque labentum impulit. I could hold out no longer. Such another mishap, but worse, had Stratocles the physician, that blear-eyed old man, Muco Planus, so Prodomus describes him. He was a severe woman-hater all his life, fuida et contumeliosa semper in feminus profatus, a bitter persecutor of the whole sex, humanas aspides et viperas apelabat. He forswore them all still, and mocked them wheresoever he came, in such vile terms, ut matrum et sororis odises, that if thou hadst heard him, thou wouldst have loathed thine own mother and sisters for his word's sake. Yet this old, doting fool was taken at last with that celestial and divine look of Marilla, the daughter of Anticles, the gardener, 
that smirking wench, that he shaved off his bushy beard, painted his face, curled his hair, wore a laurel crown to cover his bald pate, and for her love besides was ready to run mad. For the very day that he married he was so furious, ut solis ocasum minus expectare poset, a terrible, a monstrous long day, he could not stay till it was night, sed omnibus in salatutis in thalemum vestinans eruptit, the meat scarce out of his mouth, without any leave-taking, he would needs go presently to bed. What young man, therefore, if old men be so intemperate, can secure himself? Who can say I will not be taken with a beautiful object? I can, I will contain. No, saith Lucian of his mistress, she is so fair, that if thou dost but see her she will stupefy thee, kill thee straight, and Medusa-like turn thee to stone. Thou canst not pull thine eyes from her, but, as an adamant doth iron, she will carry thee bound headlong whither she will herself, infect thee like a basilisk. It holds both in men and women. Dido was amazed at Aeneas's presence. Obstupuit primo aspectu Sidonia Dido, and as he feelingly verified out of his experience, quam ego postquam vidi, non ita amavi ut sani solent homines, sed idem pactu un isani solent. I loved her not as others soberly, but as a madman rageth, so did I. So Museus of Leander, nusquam lumen detorquet ab ila, and Chaucer of Palamon. He cast his eye upon Amelia, and therewith he blent and cried, Ha! Ha! as though he had been stroke unto the harta. If you desire to know more particularly what this beauty is, how it doth influence, how it doth fascinate, for, as all hold, love is a fascination. Thus, in brief, this comeliness of beauty ariseth from the due proportion of the whole, or from each several part. For an exact delineation of which I refer you to poets, historiographers, and those amorous writers, to Lucian's images, and Charidemus, Xenophon's description of Panthea, Petronius Catalectes, Helidorus Chericlea, Tassius Leucippi, Longus Sophistus Daphnis and Chloe, Theodorus Prodomus his Rodanthes, Aristinius and Philostratus epistles, Balthazar Castilio, Book Four, De Aulico, Laurentius, Chapter Ten, De Melancholia, Aeneas Silvius his Lucretia, and every poet almost, which have most accurately described a perfect beauty, an absolute feature, and that through every member both in men and women each part must concur to the perfection of it. For, as Seneca saith, Epistula 33, Book 4, Non est formosa mulier cujus crus laudotur e brachium, sed illa cujus simul universa facies admiratonium singulis partibus dedit. She is no fair woman, whose arm, thigh, etc., are commended, except the face and all the other parts be correspondent and the face especially gives a lustre to the rest, the face is it that commonly denominates a fair or foul. Arx formi facies, the face is beauty's tower, and though the other parts be deformed, yet a good face carries it, facies non uxor amatur. That alone is most part respected, principally valued, delicis suis ferox, and of itself able to captivate. Urit te glacerae nitor, Urit grata protervitas, et vultus nimium lubricus aspici. 
Glycera's too fair a face was it that set him on fire, too fine to be beheld. When Sheria saw the singing wench's sweet looks, he was so taken that he cried out, O faciem pulcram, de leo omnes dehinc ex animu mulieres, te diet, quotindiarum harum formarum. O fair face, I'll never love any but her, look on any other hereafter but her. I am weary of these ordinary beauties, away with them. The more he sees her, the worse he is. Uritque videndo, as in a burning glass, the sunbeams are recollected to a centre, the rays of love are projected from her eyes. It was Aeneas's countenance ravished Queen Dido. Os humerosc deo similis, he had an angelical face. O sacros vultus baco vel apollin dignos, quos vir, quos tuto foimina nulla videt. O sacred looks, befitting majesty, which never mortal wight could safely see. End of section 10